Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for watching and listening to Talking Sports with Evan. I'm your host, Evan Wittalison, and have a bunch of stuff to talk about today. I'm going to talk some uh, baseball draft. Milwaukee Bucks game five is tonight and about an hour away. Uh, no Trey Young or uh, Giannis at all for game five. So I'm going to give my thoughts on if I think the Bucks can still win this series without Giannis, which you know we'll, you'll find out later on in the show. Brewers are red hot right now, but obviously they can look to improve and get better. And I don't just mean for 2021. I also mean down the road as well. Um, and with the draft coming up, I do have from BaseballProspectJournal.com writer and founder Dan Zelinski um, joining me here. And that's where we're going to start with the show here today. And before I go any further, Dan, thank you so much for uh, spending some time here with me this evening. I know it's super busy time right now with the uh, baseball draft coming up and whatnot. So I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, it's great to join you. Great to talk to you again, Evan. Yeah, it's been a while. I know we used to do some work together for one of the sports talk stations in Milwaukee. And then, you know, we've kind of gone our separate ways, you know. For sure. Yeah, those are some fun times. Great. Always covering brew games with you and stuff. So looking forward to talking to you about the draft here for a few minutes. Yeah, I definitely agree. It was definitely fun times and fun fun covering the games. You, myself, I think Chuck, majority of the time. You know, most of the time. So um, before we do go further, I did mention, you know, your site. Um, can you just, you know, kind of explain the listener to the listeners, the viewers a little bit about your site and what you offer and uh, kind of where, how they can also find. You know, I do have your Twitter account. Hopefully I, the spelling's right. Tick on the bottom ticker here. If you want to let people know how to find your work. Sure. Yeah. So I founded BaseballProspectJournal.com. I want to say in 2019 now. And interview, write stories on all the top draft prospects every year. This year, I interviewed and wrote stories on 103 of the top guys. So primarily, the website is focused on draft coverage, but I also dabble in prospect coverage once these guys do turn pro as well as have some writers who also write about some of the top prospects across baseball. So just a place that's kind of digs deep into the prospect coverage, especially when it comes to the draft. You can find me at baseballprospectjournal.com as well as on Twitter at danzelinski 3 or at the BP Journal on Twitter. So cool. Well again I mentioned I appreciate you coming on. And you know the the baseball draft last year, this year, different than typically years past because it's I think this year it's correct me if I'm wrong, it's 20 rounds. Correct. As opposed to what? What is it typically? It was typically forty rounds, and then last year with the pandemic, they shortened it up to five rounds, and then this year it's shortened again, but now to twenty rounds. Are they looking to move it back to forty? Do you think at some point, or they feel you know twenty might be a good uh, a good place to have it at? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see with the collective bargaining agreement coming up here in December. It really seems like. The draft is going to be one of those hot button topics just as a leverage for the players union and baseball. But I really expect it to be 20 rounds or right around that number, maybe 25 moving forward. It's just a practical amount. Once you would get past 20, 25 rounds with the last 10 to 15 rounds being more courtesy picks, taking a chance on a guy who's kind of determined to go to college, but hoping to draft him, maybe convince him otherwise. So I really think in scouts and 
agents also kind of agree 20, 25 rounds is really kind of the ideal amount. Yeah, you know, 40 is quite a bit. And, you know, obviously some guys, really good players have come later, later in the draft, but, you know, you, you don't hear about it a lot. So as you're saying, it's probably a lot more like kind of filler, courtesy type move. So, you know, Brewers last year, you know, took uh, Garrett Mitchell, outfielder that fell to them at 20. I know some people have him potential, you know, early first round pick. He fought at 20. Um, they, Brewers have, drafted uh kind of like i would say looking back at their history combination of college and high school or high school guys um do you kind of notice a trend on where the brewers typically like to take people out of college out of high school it just kind of depend from year to year yeah that's a great question i mean over the last five years they've used their top pick on college guys primarily four of their last five years they've selected a college guy with their top overall pick and it really seems like that's kind of the brewers philosophy is drafting whether it's college guys or just players who are a little bit more polished but also possess still some upside they also like to go after guys who look good analytically in terms of whether that's on the mound or even offensively with those analytical numbers. So they definitely have a philosophy and they definitely tend to lean towards college or otherwise guys who are a little bit more polished and have had success against premium pitching or premium talent. And and obviously there's no perfect science to drafting in any sport. And I think baseball to me is one of the harder sports to draft for because you just never know you know, a few years back, uh, Brewers took an outfielder out of, I want to say, Louisville and Corey Ray, who had all the tools in the college game that looked like he was going to be a quick to the big leagues type of guy. And he's still sitting in AAA and he's still struggling to uh, make contact with the baseball. So I guess, obviously, you, you don't hit most of the time in baseball, I guess it's safe to say. No, baseball is definitely, definitely one of the most difficult drafts to do every year because like you said it's just so hard for these guys to develop and also to predict which guys are going to be stars I mean you look at Corey Ray for an example you laid it out perfectly a guy who was a five-tool player at Louisville expected to move through a system quickly and be a starting center fielder by now at least and that obviously hasn't been the case he's struggled with strikeouts struggles to make contact you can even look at Keston Hira He's been up and down for the Brewers this year. A guy who, coming out of college, everyone knew was not going to be a premium defensive player. Had elbow issues. People thought first base, left field, maybe second base was going to be his future home. And the defensive scouting has been accurate with him. But people thought he was going to be an offensive-minded guy. Someone who hits over 300 with a lot of power. And we haven't seen that for the most part with the Brewers and Kesson Hira. So baseball is definitely a difficult draft. And it's definitely a science. And you also need a little bit of luck when you're selecting guys. Because you never know who's going to pan out. Yeah, you definitely don't. And I, I guess I should warrant you know, a comment here that... I get he has struggled. He's starting to come around now, but I'm a big Keston Hero supporter because to me, he's a guy that how can he not how can he not root for him? You know, seems like a very likable guy, and he's had success everywhere he's been. And now he's switching positions, learning a new position. I know he's got some family issues, uh, health issues with his family going on, but he's definitely showing uh, the, over the past seven games the Keston hero we saw back in uh, 2019 when he first came, which I think is a very, I think that's a very promising sign. 
No, I totally agree. And I remember talking to a scout before the draft that year about Kesson Hira, and he said that Kesson Hira is going to be one of two players, either a guy who hits well above 300 and doesn't hit as many home runs or a guy who hits 275 maybe but hits a lot of home runs. And it seems like Kesson Hira has kind of chosen to be more of that power over average guy instead of average over power. And I would like to see him get back to more of that contact-oriented approach. A guy who's still going to hit 25 home runs but hits for a better average, has a little bit better plate discipline. But like you said, he is starting to maybe figure it out here, and hopefully that continues for the Brewers' sake. Yeah, because I remember – um, and might I don't know. Some I think it was uh, Sparky was commenting that that's I don't know if it's the same person you talked to or you told them this or told him that story or what. But he had mentioned that when Hero first got caught up in 2019 that he's a guy that can either battle for batting championships or hit home runs. That he kind of you know it's kind of going to be up to him on what he wants to do. So hopefully that continues. I know last year COVID very weird baseball season didn't get to have any minor league season you just had your uh your alternative site for in case you needed to bring guys in and the draft last year brewers took outfielder garrett mitchell and i i work part-time at a station in milwaukee we do a brewer post game show you know matt Pauly, great job of doing the doing the show we have a caller every day every show you know well at least he calls um always having the same question about Garrett Mitchell. Like when is he, is he going to make it this season? Is he going to be on the big league roster at all this year? So obviously he seems to be pretty popular too. What are your kind of thoughts on him and how soon do we see him start climbing up that minor league ladder? No, that's a great question. I know Garrett Mitchell definitely drew a lot of interest after the spring training he had. And frankly, I was surprised he was still on the board when the Brewers drafted last year. He was a guy I thought would be an easy top 10 pick just because of his tools. I mean, he's a five tool guy, probably could be a little bit better of a power hitter, but still, I think he really could definitely be a five tool player. And he's someone who's going to move through a farm system quickly. It's kind of a similar, similar profile as Corey Ray. But I would expect Garrett Mitchell to probably be knocking on the door, maybe next September, but I think 2023 is a realistic kind of time frame that gives him two full years of minor league baseball and also allows him just to develop without the Brewers necessarily having to rush him. And if you look at the Brewers outfield situation in general, with Lorenzo Cain locked up for another year, Christian Yelich obviously has got the big deal. They don't necessarily have to rush him unless they need to, but Baseball teams are moving guys quicker and quicker through the farm system. So it wouldn't shock me to see them late 2022, but I think 2023 is a realistic kind of time frame for him. So there's two two questions here. Does he pro- likely finish this year at uh, Biloxi? And I, I know one of the things I heard, um, the reason why he dropped a little bit, and I know the Brewers have experience drafting a guy who deals with di- diabetes, but I heard that was some of the rumblings and why he fell. Like, you know, like, what reasons did he fall down to 20? Yeah, that was definitely a, one of the bigger concerns with him and just how that would impact his durability or stamina over a full course of 162 games. Also, teams wanted to see a little bit more power out of him in college, but I think definitely kind of the diabetes aspect didn't help his cause by any means. It maybe caused him to fall a little bit down the draft board, but I think other teams miss could be the Brewers gain 
in the long run because they were willing to take, I don't even want to say a risk, but a slight risk on a guy maybe some other teams were a little more skeptical on. Yeah, and correct me if you have a different view on the Brewers farm system than I do, but I look at the Brewers farm system. I mean, you hear the term top heavy, but the Brewers are opposite. They're very bottom heavy with their farm system. Uh, they have a lot of, you know, looks like intriguing guys at uh, low ball, high ball, A, Biloxi, um, but they're a triple A team other than, you know, Ashby and Small. They don't really have a lot there. Um, they have obviously they got guys who played in the big leagues before, like uh, Ernan Perez, um, but they don't really have much for to me prospects at the triple A level. Is that kind of the same view you have that they're very bottom heavy right now? Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. I mean, I think unfortunately, if you're a Brewers fan, they probably have one of the worst farm systems in terms of the elite talent in Major League Baseball. Garrett Mitchell certainly. A quality prospect so is Bryce Terang and I know people are high on Ethan Small I still question a little bit what his ceiling is I still think he probably profiles more as a middle of the rotation guy so besides some of those guys I just rattled off they don't have someone who's close that's going to be a superstar player at least on paper right now so I definitely agree it's more kind of middle to bottom heavy with average prospects and it is with the elite prospects it is going to be interesting to see they have made some kind of headway with signing some guys in the international market over the last couple of years i know um Edbert perez the outfielder in rookie ball right now who's only 18 he d does draw a lot of great reviews but he is a younger player so they might have some kind of lottery tickets in their system that definitely could be big time players in the future but I tend to agree, like like we've already discussed, that they're kind of lower to mid-level prospects overall throughout the system. Yeah, it's going to take several more years for the majority of them to get to, to Milwaukee. Obviously, Mitchell being a college prospect is probably going to be quicker than the other guys at uh, Appleton. Um, when you look at the team right now, corner, uh, the corner infield spots could use some work. You know, they just don't really have much uh, for the most part. Um, when you look at the draft list here, where do you see them probably targeting any particular position, any particular area? Um, or And where do you feel they should, uh, should target? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it's easy to see the glaring holes at first and third this year on the major league roster. But it seems like if you look at the Brewers kind of track record, they prefer to go kind of up the middle players in the draft most of the time. So I really expect them to kind of continue that philosophy simply because there's just more value with guys who play up the middle instead of at one of the corners. You can get more of those guys later in the draft that are very similar or even in free agency. I really expect them to go probably college at this point. The top guy I would have the Brewers taking right now is Colton Kowser, an outfielder out of Sam Houston State. He's someone I've mocked to them in the last couple mock drafts I've done. And there's really a lot to like about Kowser. He's a six foot one, 195-pound left-handed hitter who's got intriguing average and power ability. He's obviously does it from the left side, and he's a guy who really uses all parts of the field. He also, one thing I like a lot about him is his strike zone discipline. This past season, 
he drew 42 walks, had only 32 strikeouts, and then he's also spraying the ball all over the field. So I think he's definitely an intriguing player and someone who profiles as a center fielder in pro ball. It'll be interesting, too, to see what happens with Kowser. He's someone who's drawing some rumblings as a potential number five overall pick to the Orioles. But if he doesn't go to the Orioles, I definitely could see him being in the 10 to 15 range with the Brewers obviously being at pick number 15. So he might be someone that's still on their board. And I think if they could get him, that would be a big win. But I think right now it seems like they're going to go college. There is a couple of maybe high school guys they would consider, but college seems like the more likely option here about a week and a half out. You know, you mentioned Kowser. Um, there's a, on the baseballprospectjournal.com, you have an article that posted today, I believe. Um, you have a few other guys, too, that you had mentioned. Uh, another outfielder, Sal Freelich. Yeah, Freelich. That right? so, and then you have Jordan Wicks, uh, Harry Ford, and then a pitcher I've heard mentioned a lot, uh, Gunnar Hoagland. Um, yep. What are your you know, thoughts on those guys? I mean, what in particular attracts them uh, to Milwaukee for you? Sure. Well, obviously, first, they all play up the middle, and I think that's something that's valuable for the Brewers, as I mentioned earlier. They also are guys that analytically meet some of that criteria the Brewers would be looking for and also just have that kind of profile overall the Brewers have sought in recent drafts. Starting with Sal Frelick, he's a guy who's more of a top-of-the-order type hitter, 5'9", 175 pounds, left-handed hitter, more average over power, but I still think there's some room to tap into that power, maybe 15, 20 home runs. Especially at AmFam Field. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And even if he doesn't hit into that, tap into that power, he's going to be a guy who's going to hit over 300, has the plate discipline, has speed to make a difference on the base pads or defensively. And he's someone who has played all around the diamond throughout his career. I think he's probably best suited in center field, but I know talking to some scouts, They would even be interested in seeing him playing at second base. He was a high school infielder. He's also played a little infield in college, mostly in summer ball and fall ball, but still has that experience. So he's definitely another guy like Hauser who's getting some interest with the Orioles at five, but could be on the board there in the teens, potentially with the Brewers. And then talking about the two pitchers you mentioned, first Jordan Wicks, the left-handed big guys. Yeah. Out of Kansas State, Jordan Wicks, he's 6'3", 220, a lot to like with him. He's not the most overpowering guy. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Ethan Small in terms of the profile with being a low 90s fastball that's really good analytically but doesn't have premium velocity. He also has the best changeup in this year's draft class. He also just attacks the strike zone consistently, barely walks guys, and really isn't afraid to challenge guys. So, A lot to like with him, competitive, great makeup from talking to him. And even though he doesn't have a huge ceiling, profiling more as a middle-of-the-rotation arm, I still think he kind of fits that Brewers mold of what they look for early on in the draft in terms of pitching. And Gunnar Hoagland's a little bit similar to Jordan Wicks in the sense that he's not an overpowering guy. He increased his fastball velocity into the mid-90s this year but otherwise had usually been low 90s. The one thing with Hoagland, though, is that he suffered an elbow injury, underwent Tommy John surgery this year. Otherwise, we are probably talking about a top 10 pick with Gunnar Hoagland, the right-handed pitcher out of Old Miss. But size-wise, 6'4", 220, 
one of the best controlling command pitchers in this year's draft. Doesn't have big-time fastball velocity, but his secondary pitches are good, and he attacks his own and doesn't walk mm-hmm. out. So another quality asset. And then Harry Ford is kind of the most intriguing guy on this list because he is a high school catcher out of Georgia and a high school catcher. That demographic has just been absolutely brutal in the first round in the draft over the last 12 years, but even farther back than that. I mean, if you look at the last 12 years in the draft, 11 prep catchers have been drafted and I could probably name off all these guys and you would probably Evan only know maybe one or two, maybe three of them. So it's definitely a more risky demographic, but the one thing that intrigues teams about Harry Ford is that his athleticism and speed could allow him to profile at second base or in the outfield. He definitely offensively is solid for a prep guy. So that'll be someone to watch because he is generating some top 10 buzz as well. But if the Brewers don't go college, Harry Ford, I think if he's on the board, could definitely be an option, even though he is that riskier demographic at catcher, but it wouldn't also shock me if the Brewers moved him from behind the plate to a second base or outfield, or even just start him off at catcher and kind of look to see what he would do early on in his first couple of years of pro ball. Yeah. And, you know, we had talked about, you know, baseball. I'm trying to find the article that you had. I don't think it was from your site, but it was talking about the pa- the Brewers. I almost said Packers. The Brewers not having a lot of success in the first round recently. You know, sure. you mentioned Hira has been uh, better, but struggling for the most part over the last couple of years. Uh, a couple pitchers a few, many years back, uh, Youngman, I forget the other pitcher they drafted that year. Um, where do you, like when you look at the, obviously, um, for some of those, they didn't have Stearns. Um, I think Melvin was still part of that. I think Ray Montgomery was part of that too. I don't think Montgomery's with the team anymore. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but where do you see the issues lying with the Brewers when it comes to draft? And what are your, I guess, re- uh, thoughts so far on, you know, led by Stearns, they're drafting. Yeah, I mean, I always like going back and looking at their – I always do an article every year, their last 10 first-round draft picks or last 10 years of their first-round draft picks. And it's interesting to look at, too, because, like you said, they haven't had a lot of success. And that's part of the reason why they're in the position they are in with having one of the worst farm systems in baseball. Where do I put the blame on that? It's hard to say because in the first round, a lot of people have a say – in it, it's not just the scouting director and the scouts and area scouts and cross checkers. It's also the GM and other front office people because there's so much invested in the first round. A lot of more people go and look at the top guys and also kind of deliberate on these other draft, these other top first round prospects. So, where do I put the blame? I think it's just a organizational philosophy and also just a little bit of bad luck. Now, they have been better in recent years over the last three or four years in terms of at least drafting guys who have had success, whether that's in their system or somewhere else. Obvious example is formerly Trent Clark when he was drafted, but now Trent Grisham with the Padres. He's been really good. And then Bryce Terang and Garrett Mitchell are two two guys who, if they're not already in people's top 100 for baseball prospects, those are two guys who are going to be in the conversation sooner than later for being 
some of the top 100 prospects in baseball. So I think they're definitely getting better. It's just the Brewers also have taken college guys primarily over the last decade early on in the draft. And when you take college guys, you're really counting on them to move quick through a farm system. And when they Not don't, be a Corey Ray. <laughs> right. And when they don't, then you're kind of stuck because these guys are 21 coming out. If they spend three or four years in the minor leagues kind of struggling a bit, you're looking at a guy who's 25 years old, doesn't possess as much upside as a guy who was drafted out of high school at 18 who would have only been early 20s at that point. So the Brewers haven't been as risky in the first round, so that I think lends it to some of their problems. And it's just also a matter of luck. I mean, again, they haven't had always the best luck when it comes to drafting either. No, definitely guys who get drafted shortly after them. Cause I know, uh, uh, the year Jose, is it Fernandez? Yeah. yeah. Got drafted. Uh, he got drafted like a pick or two after Milwaukee. So yeah. definitely have had some bad luck on the guys immediately after or immediately before turning into, uh, you know, very talented players at the big league level. Exactly. Even uh, when the Angels took Mike Trout, I want to say the Brewers were the pick right after. Yeah. Selected Mike Trout. So, I mean, again, when it comes to the draft, it's such a crapshoot because some of these guys look great on paper, have great prep college careers, and then all of a sudden they get into this completely different environment where they're traveling all the time, they're playing all the time and they just don't adjust or their skills don't adjust for whatever reason to pro ball. So definitely a difficult, difficult strategy when it comes to the draft. And what are your looking at the team this year, the made the big league team Mm -hmm. Um, currently six games up in the division after sweeping, sweeping the Cubs kind of embarrassing them a little bit too on the first and third game of the series as well. Um, Eight game winning streak. Um, you got Corbin Burns, who two years ago people wanted to ship out of town on the next uh, next uh, taxi out of there. Brandon Woodworth, Peralta, Williams, uh, Hater. You know these are guys. I know Hater they got from another team, but for the most part, guys that they've they brought uh, from within their own system. Um, looking like a team that's going to be competing until you know game one sixty two. You know, what are your thoughts on the team currently and what do you feel they need to do to make that push into the postseason? Yeah, that's a great question. It's kind of funny looking at the Brewers now because a lot of years they were an offensive first team who struggled to develop pitching and necessarily didn't have great pitching too. And now it's kind of the opposite. They had to sign guys like Kyle Loesch and uh, Jeff Supan, uh, Matt Garza to basically help with the pitching. Yeah, and now I know their offense has gotten a lot better of late, especially since they've acquired Willie Adamas, which I love that trade from the beginning. I was kind of confused why Brewer fans didn't like it at first, but that's a whole other topic. But their pitching has been phenomenal. When you have a guy like Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns, one, two in your rotation, and then also Freddie Peralta, I mean, that's going to be tough to beat come a postseason series. And then you still have Hayter as the closer, they haven't traded him, and obviously they're not going to now because they're in contention once again this season. So um, he's at the back end of the rotation. I think they need to get Devin Williams right, too. He's hasn't lived up to last year. I don't think anyone expected him to be that good, but he's also struggled at times. So it would be nice if they could maybe add 
another bullpen piece or even a back end of the rotation starter just to help carry them through because Brett Anderson hasn't been great. Eric Lauer's been inconsistent. Except so I, when he plays in our West teams. Right. <laughs> so I, think, I think they need to more add a back end of the back end of the bullpen type piece to set up Josh Hader. And I think that pitching staff would be pretty solidified, at least come postseason time. And then we've talked about it. They need to address the corners. I don't know if that's going to trade for Jesus, Jesus Aguilar or if it's going to make a big play at Trevor Story and then move Adamas to third. They've got a lot of question marks when it comes to that offense in the infield on the corners. And they still got guys like Jackie Bradley Jr. who's struggled for the most part this season. Lorenzo Cain can't stay healthy and looks like he's past his prime. So offensively, they're doing well of late. Adamas has been a huge addition and hopefully Christian Yelich can kind of figure things out and get closer to the MVP Yelich than uh, he's shown at times this year where he's kind of struggled. So I think if they could add a bat and add a back end of the bullpen type arm, I think they'd be pretty solid. Yeah. And as someone, when the trade happened, who was kind of not a huge fan of it, I can kind of explain my reasoning to you a little bit. Um, Cause. And I get, you wanted to show the Urias and Lauer trade worked for you because you saw what Grisham did last year. And um, Davies got you uh, got the Padres. You Darvis now, who's one of the Padres, you know, better pitchers. Um, so you obviously wanted Urias to secede at shortstop. Um, that's where you. That's why you traded him. And when they traded um, Orlando Arcia, who yes, he leaves a lot to be desired on his on-field play, especially with the bat in his hand. Yeah. Um, he did offer a lot of clubhouse leadership though too. And you traded him away. It's basically like I'm giving this job to a guy who hasn't shown he can produce yet at the major league level. And then when it didn't work out, it was almost looking like now you're panicking. Now we have to fix this. So you send basically your seven inning guy and a guy who looks promising at times because now you have to fix the shortstop position. So we're weakening the bullpen because we screwed up at the shortstop. But obviously, it hasn't. It worked out great for the Brewers because Adamas has been amazing. Urias has been really good at third base, and the defense on that side of the field is almost, you know, like there's nothing going through there at all. So I yeah. think for me, and I, I, some reason, Arcia's very likable guy, like in Arcia, it was just kind of stunning at the time that it happened. But eh, Willie Adamas has definitely made up for it, and then some. Yeah, I mean, I don't fault them for trying to give Luis Urias a chance at shortstop because he was a former top 10, 20 prospect in baseball, has loads of talent as we've seen throughout this season and previously as well. So I didn't fault them for necessarily giving him a chance to kind of produce. But once he started struggling defensively, especially making two errors a game, it seemed like every other game, they definitely had to do something. And Rasmussen and Firehausen both were talented, big arms, but I also thought at times they were a little inconsistent, especially Rasmussen. He kind of always worried me when he would come in because he did have that big-time fastball velocity, but sometimes he kind of lost control of his pitches and struggled. So I was all right trading for trading from a strength of your team to help a weakness. And, I mean, Plus, Willie Adamas, he has always struggled to hit at Tropicana Field for whatever reason. He never saw the ball well. I know he 
he wore some special glasses too to try to help him see, but he only hit 217 at Tropicana Field where he was playing half of his games. And, and I was again, 300 away from there. <laughs> right. And yeah, and he's still a young guy too and was a former top prospect himself. I mean, only uh, 25 years old, almost 26, will be later this year. So I definitely felt at, they had to do something at that position. And to only give up two relievers, not tap into your farm system that's already weak and deal from that aspect, it was a risk. But I think obviously now it's paid off and it's going to be interesting to see what they do to kind of address now their bullpen if they do come the trade deadline to maybe add another piece back to it. Is Ashby and Small somebody that could potentially be like this year's version of uh, Corbin Burns and uh, Woodworth? Uh, they brought them up uh, back in 2018. Burns pitching uh, out of the bullpen that year. Could one of those guys be that version or that person? Yeah, I think Ashby is more likely. I know he got off to a terrible, frankly, debut yesterday but he's been kind of the guy the brewers have been prepping for like a relief role they recently moved him to the bullpen at triple a and there is a lot to like with ashby and i think right now he kind of reminds me of a josh Hader type a guy who's got a really good fastball and almost an elite slider when it's on he's pretty much more of a two-pitch guy his changeup is good and flashes above average potential but he's more of a two-pitch guy right now and also struggles at time with walking guys which kind we of saw yesterday <laughs> <laughs> so i think he's more likely to be up come end of july august because the brewers have kind of prepped him for that reliever role and i think with his maybe command and control struggles I think he might be better in just a one or two inning appearance because he's able just to throw his fastball and slider then he's not facing a lineup three times and can just let it loose a little bit and let it fly with that fastball and then hopefully strike guys out with the slider so I think he's more likely to uh, be in the big leagues this year once again once he gets called back up probably at some point Ethan Small is pitching well and he's now at triple a I won't, I'm going to be very curious to see what happens with him. I think he's a guy who, frankly, could be ready for the major leagues right now. We talk about teams wanting to move their guys quickly, and Ethan Small was drafted in 2019. Really didn't have a season last year because they only had the alternative site, so he didn't really get to face live competition, at least from other guys that are not Brewers prospects. So Ethan Small, I think, could very well – see his way in the major leagues, especially if you see Brett Anderson or even if Lauer kind of struggles. If they don't have an answer at the back end of their rotation, I think you could see Ethan Small up in the majors too. Yeah, and I'm definitely intrigued by him. So I um, want to say thank you for coming on, spending some time uh, talking some brewers and draft um, with me. Um, I'm going to talk some Bucks basketball in a moment, but just kind of get your thoughts quick. Uh, game five, no Trey Young, no Giannis. Um, who do you think it's game five tonight, Bucks, uh, because they're at home, or do the Hawks uh, get up 3 2? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch. I mean, last game, you would have thought the, the Bucks would have won that game without Trey Young, and then Giannis Antetokounmpo goes down with the injury, and they get pretty much blown out. And I'm shocked they didn't play with a sense of urgency after Giannis left game four. And I think game five at home, they know Giannis is out. 
Middleton's got to step up and be that go-to guy that he shows sometimes but doesn't do every game or consistently enough for the Bucks to uh, kind of make quicker work of their opponents. So I think the Bucks get this win. Budenholzer's got to make some adjustments. Drew Holiday, Middleton have to step up. And I think I'm hoping – Budenholzer plays Bobby Portis more because I think he should be playing a lot more than he has. Yeah. He's athletic. He can score. We'll see. Yeah. I said, I get why he didn't play much against the Nets because it wasn't good matchups for him, but he's shown in this Hawk series that he can definitely do damage. So, yeah. <laughs> what do you think about Budenholzer? Do you think he's gone regardless of how the season finishes out? Well, if they somehow win the finals, I think you don't fire him for, just for the fact that. Who's gonna want to come? Who's gonna want to come be your coach if you're firing your firing your guy after you win the finals? I think that'll be a very tough sell. I think if they fall short, which now they have a now they have an excuse. Hey, we didn't have Giannis for the rest of the series or the rest of the playoffs. But I think if they fall short this round or in the finals, I I personally think it's time to move on from him. Um, yeah. You know, three years and it's you know. Right now, shaping up to be three disappointing finishes. Hopefully, the Bucks surprise everybody and gets to the finals. It's obviously going to be tough, you know, tough hill to climb. But if they win the finals, he's he starts next year as the coach. If they struggle at all to the gate, then I think they make a change. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, you would think the players would kind of step up without Giannis and play for Giannis and Budenholzer, who's definitely on the hot seat. So yeah. they seem to like him quite a bit. Yeah, this is their best shot at winning a title. That's why it's so frustrating, Giannis being hurt now. But we'll see what happens. It's it's going to be competitive. Yeah, up until Game Four, everything in the playoffs was falling in the Bucks' favor. But maybe it's everything falling in the Suns' favor instead. And you know, we're not looking at it that way. But you know, I'm not going to be disappointed if the Suns win. I've been a big Chris Paul fan for a long time, and it's great seeing him in the finals. Yeah, I mean, he's been one of the top point guards, so I think it's good for him, and frankly, it's good to see the Suns relevant again. Yeah, I think, what, 10 years ago was the last time they made the playoffs? Haven't made the finals since 93? Yeah. With Barkley leading the helm. So, but yeah, again, I want to say thank you for coming on. I appreciate it, and I look forward to uh, seeing more of your work as we get uh, closer to the draft. Thanks, Evan. I appreciate it. Have a good one. And that was uh, Dan Zielinski. Thank you again for coming on. You can find his work at BaseballProspectJournal.com. That's BaseballProspectJournal.com. You can see the uh, it, on the bottom ticker of the screen here. You can also follow him on uh, Twitter as well. You see the Twitter handle there. So going to stick to Brewers a little bit here really quick. Um, and... So Brewers right now up two nothing over the over the Pirates, and you know I've been high on this Brewer team for a while. Um, I said before the season started that they're I picture them probably winning 92-93 um, wins. I still feel that way, and they're definitely showing it. And like you know Dan was saying, I do think they need some some bullpen help. Um, I do think they need uh, probably. Uh, probably some, you know, possibly depth at third base or first base again. I like what Keston Hero has been doing, 
But now Colton Wong can't stay healthy. He left today's game with a calf issue, um, t- left calf tightness. So obviously the calf wasn't ready yet to come back, kind of like Yelich in his back. They they kept Yelich. Uh, they didn't IL him, and they said, we're going to try him. They put him on the field. or they, No, they did IL him. I'm sorry. They I, put him on the IL, and they get him back in, takes a couple uh, – takes a couple uh, swings, and next thing you know, his back acts up again. So I, I think maybe you're going to have to I.O. Uh, Colton Wong again. And if you can trade for a first baseman like an Asus Aguilar, bring him back. Um, Keston Hero can uh, play some second base again. I know he's not the best defender, um, but the way he's been swinging the bat lately, you definitely don't want to take him out of the lineup. And Jace Peterson has been a quite the surprise lately. So could the Brewers improve? Yes. Um, but I am very happy with where the Brewers are right now. Uh, moving on to the Bucks, um, NBA Eastern Conference Finals Game 5 is coming up shortly. Um, for those watching the show uh, live, coming up in about 20 minutes, a little more than 20 minutes. And the Bucks got to do it without Giannis. And the, the Hawks got to do it once again without Trey Young. And if I could backtrack to Game 4 really quick. Um I think the Atlanta Hawks knew pretty much the whole day prior to and the whole day of the game that Trey Young was not going to play. I honestly think they knew he wasn't going to play. You 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 kind of speculate that he's he's questionable game time decision, so you forced the other team. What's uh, going on, Lamont? Thank you for uh, watching, and I kind of agree with you there. It's an uphill climb, but I think Bucks in seven as well. So, um, but. The Bucs were preparing to face the Hawks like Trey Young was going to play. I don't think they had a game plan in place to I don't think they had a game plan in place to face the Hawks without Trey Young. So when Trey Young, right before tip-off, like a half hour, hour before tip-off is ruled out, they had, I don't, it looked like they had not prepared for a Trey Young uh less Hawks team. And they didn't adjust well at all in the first half trying to reconfigurate things and uh, attack what the Hawks were trying to do to them offensively and defensively. Third quarter, Bucks came out with a lot more energy. They looked a lot more prepared. Giannis looked like he was going to have one of his patented 30-point halves um, after a slow start in the first half. And then the knee injury happened. And Budenholzer, for whatever reason, doesn't take a timeout after the injury to refocus his guys. He just goes, okay, Giannis walked off the court with his brother. Let's uh, throw him back out there and uh, uh, let's get back to work. And obviously the Bucks lost a lot of steam and energy seeing their star player, seeing the their two-time MVP, seeing their leader scream, laying on the floor screaming in pain. So I think that's one mistake Bootenholzer made, um, not calling a timeout to get his team a chance to recover. And the Hawks go on a 10-0 run, game over. So the benefit in game five, I, I hope the Bucks were preparing for the scenario Trey Young played and preparing for a scenario that Trey Young didn't play. Because obviously, um, obviously they knew going in after game four, it's still questionable if he's going to play or not. 
It was questionable right after the game. Um, you know how to defeat the Hawks with Trey Young playing. You did you did it uh, twice, game two and game three. Um, you need to have a game plan ready to beat the Hawks without him. And obviously, he's not playing um, again. So, so now hopefully the Bucks are uh, better prepared uh, this go around without Trey Young. And then the Bucks, no Giannis, they're gonna have to uh, they're gonna have to figure it out. And they still got the two best players on the floor. I think with uh, Middleton and Holiday, talent wise, the Bucks are the better team, even without Giannis. But the thing is, Budenholzer needs to come up with a game plan with those two, um, you know, game plan with those two, and those two guys have to step up too. Um, it's not just Budenholzer if they don't win because he's not the one that's shooting eight for 35 from the three-point line. It's not just on Budenholzer. It's the players got to perform, and they didn't perform in game uh, game one when it mattered. They didn't perform in uh, – Game four when it mattered, and they didn't perform for a most of game uh, game uh, three until the fourth quarter. So they need Middleton to play like he did in the third quarter of game three, and they need Holiday to play like he did in game one and game two of this series. So I think the Bucks can still win this series. They have two games left at home, uh, guaranteed games uh, left at home, assuming they win tonight or they don't win tonight, they win on Saturday. I think the Bucs can still make the finals, and I don't know if we're going to see Giannis again this postseason, if the Bucs force a Game 7, or if the Bucs make the finals. Is Giannis going to be healthy enough to come back and play? I don't know. No structural damage, which is a good thing. When that injury happened, it looked bad. It did not look like Giannis is going to be playing basketball again anytime soon. And at that point, it's not a matter of, can he come back again and play this season? How much time is he going to miss next season? That that's what that's what became the question. Um, and thankfully, he's no structural damage. He's not going to miss any time next year. And there's a, a chance that next week, if the Bucks are playing in the finals, there's a chance that Giannis could be available to play in the NBA Finals. And very grateful for that because that injury did not look good. Um, as I mentioned, when Dan was in. I'm happy seeing the Phoenix Suns in the finals. I've been a big Chris Paul fan for a long time. Frank Kaminsky, former Badger, is uh, plays for the Suns. Great seeing that Wisconsin uh, connection there. Um, and then, like I said, I've been a big Chris Paul fan for a while. So I'm happy seeing him. So going to go back to baseball. Um, comment uh, Something I want to comment on. And that's the Trevor Bauer situation. And that's been getting a lot of a lot of attention lately. Um, and it, it's very tough situation um, for those, obviously, uh, for those that may not have heard, um, he now has a restraining order placed against him for a woman that is accusing him of uh, sexually assaulting her. And I think it's... I have a problem with the fact that he's making the trip to Washington with the team um, because obviously he did, obviously he did wrong. 
the court wouldn't allow a restraining order. The police wouldn't be criminally investigating if there is no merit to what this this uh, young woman was alleging. There's obviously merit to what she's saying happened. He should not be making this trip. He should not be starting this weekend in Washington. He should be away from the team until matters are resolved. It's a bad look for the Dodgers. It's a bad look for the Dodgers. It's a bad look for the manager. It's a bad look for the owners. Bauer should be away from the team until the situation, this incident is resolved. And I honestly, I personally hope that this results in Bauer not playing baseball again. Um, I, I read the art, I read uh, article um, from the athletic regarding Bauer uh, reading through it. It's a, it's very tough to read. And we as men have to be better. We as men have to do better. You know, we have to be better. Okay. You know, women aren't our personal objects whenever we, we need to get off. And we have to stop pushing it that way. And I get the, the opinion. I get the, 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 the thought that that is how Bauer views the opposite sex. That he can do what he wants, when he wants with them because of who he is and how much money he has in his pocket. I've never met Trevor Bauer, but that's the vibe that I get from him. And we have to do better as men. We got to, you know, we have to treat each other better. We have to treat women better. No means no. You know, can you got to make anything you do in the in the bedroom? You have to make sure you got consent for everything. You know, you can't just assume consent because they said yes to this. It's also yes for that. You know, the the choking. Um, got to make sure you got consent. The the battery. Um, obviously she couldn't give consent because she was passed out. What he did is wrong, and he needs to be punished. And right now we're just enabling him, and we're enabling men who victimize women with the with Cosby being released yesterday, with allowing Bauer to continue to play. We are enabling men who treat women bad to continue to treat women bad. And we got to stop that. We got to be better than that. Hold people accountable for their actions. I get the court process, the investigation, and everything for Bauer is still ongoing. But it does not look good for Bauer. It doesn't. Get, get, get a subscription to The Athletic if you don't have one. And really read this article with an open head, open mind, and not as a Bauer stan. Really read the article. There's a lot of damning information in this article from The Athletic. Really read it and comprehend what happened in this incident where this woman is unconscious and she wakes up with black eyes. She wakes up bleeding out of her anus because he performed anal sex when he didn't have consent to do it. Hold these people, hold people who victimize or take advantage of others, and especially women, hold them accountable. And by allowing Bauer to play in Washington, by allowing him to make the trip, 
by allowing him to continue to be part of the team while this investigation is ongoing. All you're doing is enabling him and people who act like what these allegations were. So moving on, NCAA, a big day in college sports today. Players can start, uh, they can start uh, making money on their likeness and their image. I think it's great. I think it's long overdue. I think it's going to be great for college sports um, as a whole. Um, I think it takes away a little bit from the monopoly. (coughs) Excuse me. I think it takes away a bit from the monopoly that your Alabamas have, Clemson has, because you don't have to go there now really to get that recognition because you can do it yourself. Um, I remember a kicker for one of the 8 million Florida football teams that had a YouTube channel years ago that had to stop it because the NCAA wouldn't let him play. I remember an Olympic skier who his sport, you need endorsement money to perform in the Olympics to pay for the trip to wherever the winter games are, he had to he had to give up his sponsorships for his skiing in order to play college football in Colorado. To me, that wasn't okay. But I, I think it's a good thing. And obviously there might be some unintended consequences sooner than the good from it. But I think it's a good thing for college sports that players can actually start making money off of their image and likeness. I think we might see college football video game come back that went away due to EA Sports and the NCAA not wanting to pay on it when it got into the courts. EA Sports said, you know what, we're not making this anymore. So that could come back. Um, I think it'd be a huge boom for women's sports. Um, There's a a player from UConn, Paige uh, Zipbrackers. She can, you know, she can basically help promote the game of women's basketball even more so now by being able to make different appearances all over the country, uh, potentially. I think it's good all the way around. So to me, that's a great, great thing. So with that, I'm going to go wrap it up. Uh, Bucks start in about 10 minutes. Um, For those that have watched it live, thank you so much. For those that are going to listen to the podcast later, Appreciate it as well. The podcast is found anywhere you can find your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Spreaker, Anchor, you name it. You can find the show. Listen, rate it, review it. Um, so encourage your friends to support it if you enjoy the show. Um, with that said, you can follow me on Twitter at Evan with Sports. Um, email me, talkingsportswithevan at gmail.com. I'll get back at you next week, hopefully talking a Bucks NBA Finals appearance with uh, with my guy Tristan, potentially. Um, I'll get back at you later. Have a good night, everybody.